also, guys, I would like to just thank SG Wonderwall for giving us a shout out on their latest article. Crime Watch beats incredible tales. Why didn't we think of that? Hello and welcome to Hidden Among Us. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Once again, it's a rainy day. It's a rainy Saturday. <laughs> Hopefully it's yes. not raining when y'all listen to this on Sunday. No, I hope it's raining on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's... No, Shan hopes it's raining when you get to the paranormal story on a Sunday. Yes, when Chris gets to the paranormal uh, story. And this week's story is a really interesting one, so... That's right. Yeah. Nice. Also, guys, I was... Okay, so I have this strange thing that's been happening to me. What? This past few days, this past week or so. It's really strange, okay? So... Um, I feel like motherhood is following me everywhere. <laughs> motherhood, okay. Okay, so, okay, let me um explain why. So, uh, on Wednesday, it was my birthday, right? Yes. And my aunt called me and she, she wished me and she said something about, um, something about motherhood. And like, mm-hmm. I think a few days before that, <laughs> Um, whenever I went on social media, there was always something about like mom, young young moms and babies. And then um, mm-hmm. a bunch of YouTubers that I follow, um, they they all started getting pregnant. Like, and these are YouTubers that struggled to conceive for a very long time, and suddenly they're all pregnant, uh-huh. right? Okay. And then like when I go on my other social medias. Like, the first things I always see, and it's always, like, the first things, right? It's something to do with, like... The top. Yeah, it's, like, moms and babies, particularly babies. And I don't (laughs) understand because I don't like children. (laughs) (laughs) So, I... It's been very strange. And I don't know how to explain it. Is it like a higher calling or something supernatural? I don't know. I don't I don't know what to make of it. Supernatural. But it's weird. No. Yeah, I don't know. No. But it's weird because I don't like children. Yeah. It's it's just a, the algorithm. Uh, yeah, I think it's an algorithm thing. I don't know. But okay, so, so here's the thing, right? Apart from the YouTube videos, right? On my other social media, so for example, Twitter and Instagram, I don't search up anything to do with babies or motherhood or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. some of the apps have the same parent company. Mm. So, like, Instagram is bought by, like, I don't know, Facebook, Facebook or something. Yeah, yeah but I'm Facebook. not on Facebook. And, what, and, like, WhatsApp, if, like, your, if your parents, like, drop you a message, perhaps, like, I, I hope you get married soon, then, you know, it fits into the algorithm. But none of that has happened to me. None of it. Hmm. Maybe they're recording. So when your aunt called, yeah, then you know. But okay, I mean that's the conspiracy theory. Okay, that okay. but yeah. how do you explain um these things happening to me before the phone call? I feel like you may have just chanced upon one thing that triggers the algorithm, and then suddenly I think you've been always watching. You've always been watching birth vlogs. No, I've I've stopped watching birth vlogs for a long time, like over a year. 
No, but sometimes it like sometimes it just pops up. Anyway, again. I just think it's mm. very strange, and I don't know what to make of it. And I just no. Are, yeah, you, gonna, okay. are you are you gonna answer the are calling? Are you gonna hear? <laughs> no. The other thing that was weird was um. So yesterday I met Honda for a coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Honda just started like she made fun of me, and then she pointed at this like what what's the thing called Play Kids? It was some store that was for children. And it was like... Uh, is it Centerpoint? No, it was at Centerpoint. Oh, Centerpoint. Yeah, but it was out of nowhere. Like, it came out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, this motherhood thing is following me everywhere. I'm terrified. I don't want... It is time, Chris. It is, it is not time. time. I don't want to... Oh, oh, okay, 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 wait. I forgot the other thing. So, yesterday I went for this appointment, right? And um, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. after my session, the, the girl that was... um, The girl that was helping me... She she was going through the terms and conditions for this thing again, and she just kept repeating over and over again that if, um, in a case of a pregnancy, I just need to show her like I just need to email in the proof of pregnancy, and they can postpone my appointments. And she kept <laughs> repeating it over and over and over again, and I was just standing out there like, huh, like where is this coming from? <laughs> this coupled with all the social media thingy about babies. And like motherhood, and I'm just like, what is happening? What is the greater universe trying to tell me? Because I, <laughs> I don't like children, and that's the that's the oh, irony that of all this. It's the fact that I don't like children, and I have told multiple people that I don't want children. Sorry, Singapore mm. government, I mean, I'm hating you. <laughs> seeing you interact with children is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh no. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen Chris interact with children. Oh, Honda has. Because we went on a CIP during, like, oh, MI. Oh, yeah. Okay. We okay. went to a kindergarten. She was she was like, I was what, so what are these things? struggling so much. I remember looking at Honda and going like, please help me. And Honda was just like, uh, I can't help you. And then, like, doing her own stuff with, like, <laughs> the kids she was attached to. I didn't know how to communicate with my child. And she was this quiet girl, so... And I'm not quiet, but around children, I'm just, you will not hear me say anything. <laughs> it's not that hard. I don't know how to communicate with them. So, I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a difficult CIP. <laughs> difficult. I, I, can't, I can't relate, you know. I've got a child <laughs> of my home. That's because you have a younger oh, sister question, who can't is relate. so young. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, so... Anyway, I just... Like, Chris, you should babysit. <gasps> no. You know, Honda told me yesterday that <laughs> I talk to children like I'm talking to adults. And I was like, yeah, I mean... Isn't that how you're supposed to talk to children? No, I think you're like an awkward adult. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you think that they'll understand what you're saying. Hey, I'm just trying to imagine. Hey, kid, would you like to discuss feminism with me? Ecofeminism, just you know. Oh my god, it's so difficult. That is so tough. <laughs> like I've tried talking about this kind of things to my sister, and it's so tough to simplify it. <laughs> Feminism, like, <laughs> like no, like with the whole Black Lives uh matter movement, I tried to like explain it to her. <laughs> so I was like, "Do you know what's going in Amer- going on in America now?" She just looked at me. What is America? <laughs> She is. I mean, she's still yeah, a bit she too is young. Five years old. 
Yeah, but I just wanted her to learn about the world young, you know? So I had to like, you know... Uh, that's a bit too young for now. Yeah, but it's quite good because like, it's easy for her because she's surrounded with um, people of different races and her best friends are like um of different races. So like, she doesn't have like that, you know? Like, it's easier yeah. to teach her about skin colour not being, you know? Like, like it doesn't matter what skin colour mm. you are. So it's easier to teach her because her surroundings are quite diverse, but... I would think that if mm. it was not diverse, it would be very, very difficult to even teach her the concept of it. So, That's well, but that was tough. Like, that was really tough. And, like, storybooks don't help. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't find a good storybook yet, you know, to educate I feel like children a, Maybe you have to find, like, from other countries. That yeah, like, I, I, I've been finding a lot. Yeah, there's like, no stocks. Like, American um, ones. Because, like, nowadays, because, like, I don't really want to invest in buying the physical book. Because we're not going out either way. And I feel like there's a joy in actually browsing through and choosing what books are better mm. suited for the child. So I don't want to buy just based off the title. So like what we do is just YouTube like the the books. Because like there are a lot of storytellers on YouTube. So they just read to you children's storybooks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Then so far the ones... They don't really teach so much. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like a lot of children's books use animals or like uh like not people essentially to explain these concepts mm. so mm. i don't know i remember reading I think there uh, was a short film that was nominated last year for oscars uh hello <gasps> yes i watched i think that one is yeah that, that was so good. good that was so good i actually saw it on twitter before it even got nominated like because i think mm-hmm. the the person who made it was like I think it was a GoFundMe or something I can't remember mm-hmm. but basically it wasn't like this big studio that made it mm-hmm. and I remember watching oh it's just a small studio I can't remember what the background was but I remember watching it because somebody retweeted it on my timeline before it got nominated mm-hmm. I remember watching it and I was just like oh my god this is so cute yeah it's really it's cute it's really cute and it's really powerful also Mm. Yeah, and the other thing I loved about it was the fact that it was about a father-daughter relationship, and how mm. the father is the one that is trying to, like, style his daughter's hair, and then it's added with the fact that it's about black people mm-hmm. and their mm. hair. Yeah, and the full thing's available, yeah, on, YouTube, available on YouTube, so it's good. It's okay. I'll go and check it out. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Talking about children. My story oh. today is about children. <gasps> no, no way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. It is. It's about a child killer. Mm. <gasps> Which country? Um it's um it's in Scotswood, a district in the west end of Newcastle. Oh so she's it's in Newcastle. Yeah. I'm, Stop it. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> good old England. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just like clicking out of okay. the po- podcast like right now. You're just like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> cringe, cringe. Is it? Yeah. Wait, is it that famous case? Is it famous? Have you ever heard of Maribel? No, I don't. I, I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay, bye, bye, Chris. I'm, 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 I'm editing this right now. Everyone is clicking out and sending us like okay, one star uh, reviews. <laughs> bye. 
no, come back. <laughs> so, and the one star review is um, Chris's English accent is so bad. Yeah, <laughs> attempted to do an English accent. Felt it was better than English. yours. <laughs> Your one last week was. Butter. <laughs> butter. Butter. Oh, oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. So, today's story is quite interesting, at least to me, because I've always had, like, an interest to, like, charge child killers. Yeah, wait, wait, so... wait, wait. Is it about the two young boys? <gasps> yes, oh! it is. Oh my goodness. No, wait. Chris, I think she's talking about something else. Oh. It's not oh, that, one. that one. Yeah, but this one's about no. two young boys. Okay, well... <laughs> it's not the train track one. No, no, no. It's not the train track one. Yeah, it's not. Okay, okay. <laughs> tell us. Tell us. I'm excited. Okay. So, yeah, this one is really interesting. So, Mary... Her name is Mary Flora Bell. She's an English woman. Um, and as a child aged 10 to 11 in 1968, she strangled to death two young boys in Scotswood in a district um, which is at the Scotswood is a district in the west end of Newcastle oh gee upon time okay wherever that is <laughs> I just recognise Newcastle Newcastle <laughs> oh, oh my god. god you cannot stop me you're not my real dad <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna mute you and react to Shen <laughs> okay yeah so um, so I think there's a lot like I think it's really interesting that I could find her backstory onto why she committed this um like murders per se. Mm-hmm. So Mary Bell was born to Betty. <clears throat> so Betty, okay, I'm gonna do that again. <clears throat> so Mary Bell was born to Betty, which was um Betty which is her mom. So Betty was a 16-year-old prostitute oh. who actually like really, really hated like her child. So she reportedly told doctors before to like take that thing away from me when she saw her daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, and also as a prostitute, Betty was often away um, from home on business trips to Glasgow. But when she was home, Mary was subject to a lot of abuse, both mental and physical. Yeah, mm. so I think that kind of like, mm. that kind of took up a huge part of violence in her childhood. Mm. And then, mm. like, even Betty's sister, which is Mary's aunt, Witness Betty trying to give Mary away to a woman who was um unsuccessful when trying to adopt. So like basically she wanted to give away to a woman who for some reason have been had been rejected by multiple organizations for trying to adopt. Which means she either has a very, very shady like background or like she's just mm. not suited for a lot of adoptions. Which also signals to like the family style in the person, mm. you know? Cause Back then, I guess in 1968, adoption would have been more lax. So can you imagine how this person, yeah. that Beth, you know, Betty was trying to give away to, like how bad of a figure she was. Yeah, so... I mean, so, I wouldn't go to say that... Okay, also because I don't know this person's background, but even until today, like a lot of good homes, people who are like, mm. who would be good parents also they failed the adoption process. So, so I'm, I would hesitate to say that maybe she's a bad person. But then again, I, I don't know this person's backstory or anything. Yeah, I, I don't know either because you can't find this information. But according to Betty's sister, um, 
was just not a great family. Oh, okay. And then the sister actually recovered Mary herself. Oh, okay. So like... Okay, that's yeah. fair. So, so Mary was also strangely recorded to be very accident-prone. She once fell from a window and on another occasion, strangely overdosed on sleeping pills. So she was a child. So like, like all these were known to be accidents. Like there were no like charges filed, I guess, mm. from Mary, Mary to her mother. So yeah. So so a lot of like people attribute this accident to be, you know, Betty's determination to rid herself of a child burden. Mm. But at the same time, Betty perhaps also longed for the attention and sympathy for mm. like that her daughter's accidents accidents brought her. You know, because like, I imagine that if your child gets an accident, then people be like, oh, are you okay? Are you alright? Are both of you okay? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so like, on later accounts, when Mary actually goes to court and stuff like that, Mary actually tells the court that, you know, her mom actually prostitutes her out when she was just four years old. Oh, no. So it's, yeah, but this was just Mary's account. It wasn't, it wasn't confirmed by any other family members because um, nobody else could, you know, testify for this. Yeah, yeah, but why would a four-year-old so, lie? You know what I mean? I think it was, in a sense, unconfirmed because, like, how, how can you remember something that happened when you were four? That's true. That, I think that's what they were trying to argue. Mm, yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, but then so, again, like, I've heard of cases where children... Okay, so, I feel like... Okay, so, under the ages... Under the age of six, children either dissociate and repress these memories or some of them really do remember. So, I've actually heard of instances where people in their adulthood still remember the trauma and abuse that they suffered as very young children. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I guess... The the trauma that it carries. Yeah, but also agreeing with you, it's, it's a kind of thing where it's difficult to confirm. Abuse is always difficult to confirm if there isn't, like... If it's not ongoing and there's no, like, physical... Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not like abusers leave a paper yeah, trail. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and back then it was much tougher because, you know, you don't have all those surveillance cameras and yeah. stuff like that. So it's, like, very difficult. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, mm. but, you know, even though it was unconfirmed, you know, people around her and the court did know that even regardless of this, like, child abuse... um. Mary's young life was already marked by a lot of loss um, because she actually witnessed her five-year-old friend getting run over and killed by a bus. Oh, no. Yeah, so it was like she had a really bad childhood. Yeah. Oh, no. So, yeah, so given that all that had happened, it, it really was not surprising that Mary, by the age of 10, had become that strange child. Mm. So very withdrawn and very manipulative. Mm. And, you know, and always hovering on the edge of violence. Because, you know, I think it's something that um, I've read about, but don't quote me on this because I'm no expert. But you, when you tend to um, live it with, you know, with that physical violence, you tend to project it when you grow older also because you're so used to it. It becomes mm. like your, your, like, it's just like your natural defense. It's like the cycle of abuse, you know? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so... She was just like a child rebel in that sense, yeah. But there was a lot that many people did not know. Like just seeing Mary, they they knew that she was, you know, she was a broken child in that sense. But they didn't know that she was capable mm. of killing people, yeah. Oh dear. So, 
for weeks before her first mother, Mary Bell was acting quite strangely, like um based like differently, I guess. I guess that's when her urge or desire to kill started coming in. So she started acting like a bit suspicious. Mm. But that's also people's account of Mary. Yeah. So so on May 11, 1968, Mary was actually playing with a three-year-old boy who was badly injured in a fall from on top of an air raid shelter. Yeah, so she was actually playing with him. She was 10 uh-huh. then. Yeah, and, and then um, he got injured or he was injured previously? He got injured then. Oh, no. And his parents, his parents thought it was an accident. Because, you know, when kids play, mm. this kind of things do happen, you know, falling from somewhere. Yeah. And also, yeah. um, who would guess that it would be a 10-year-old girl, right? Especially girls. Because yeah. girls are often perceived not to be violent, you know. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But the following day, however, three mothers, three, actually came forward, you know, and lodged, like, a police report to actually tell the police that Mary had attempted to choke their daughters. Their young daughters. Oh my goodness. Each, yeah, I couldn't find an identity because they were too young. But she they, she attempted to choke three daughters. Yeah. So, um, um, like a very brief police interview and a, like, I guess like, um, talks between Mary and her mom were, were there, but there were no charges that were filed because, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lack of evidence and she's 10. Yeah. So, so yeah. So yeah. then on May 25, which was, um, what's 25 minus 11? 14? I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> so two, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's a 0.42. Okay, no, but yeah. So what? two weeks after... <laughs> None of us so are mad after people. that happened. None of us. May 20... Yep. None. Yeah, so then on May 25, which was two weeks after that incident happened, where, you know, the the young boy falling from the air raid shelter, um, Mary Bell actually strangled a four year old Martin Brown to death in an abandoned house in Scotswood, England. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. So she actually left the scene and returned with her friend Norma Bell, which has no relation to her. So they just have the scene. You just call so, her um, Normal yeah. Bell. Normal Bell. <laughs> no, it's called Norma. Oh, Norma. Wait. Normal oh, Bell. Bell. Normal, Normal Bell. Bell. So uh, we have Maribel and then we have Normal Bell. <laughs> and, and then their third friend, Extraordinary Bell. <laughs> and then we have Suspicious Bell. Okay, yeah, but, but. And then we have... Um, we have, yeah, so Normal Bell, which has no relation to Mary Bell. So they actually... It really sounds like Normal Bell. Okay, let's just... Normal Bell. <laughs> Though she's not so normal, because she's kind of the accomplice in this sense. You know? Suspicious Bell. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she actually left the scene and returned with her friend Normal Bell. To find that um, two boys who were actually playing like playing in the house already stumbled upon the body. So they actually like strangled and then they left and then they wanted she returned with a friend. But then there were two boys that were already there. So like the body was already found. Oh okay. So they came back late lah, essentially. Boys. Yeah, correct. That's an abandoned house, yeah, right? Yeah, it's an abandoned house. But I guess when you're yeah, what are all the kids doing, doing there? 
isn't like their play sport or something. Like everyone just yeah. I guess I mean you watch the movies. People do like going to like this cool place. Us yeah. Ooh, and okay. Cool, think... <laughs> cool place. I beg yeah. to differ. Yeah. So besides, you know, like a very very little blood and saliva on the victim's face, there was no obvious signs of violence. So you know, um. I guess that's suspicious because, like, this is a young boy. And then, like, I guess it's also because it's easier to kill. So there was, like, that lack of violence, like, the, those indicators. Perhaps, like, when it comes to, like, strangulation marks, it's less violent than usual. Because, after all, it was done by, like, a 10-year-old? Yeah. I guess so it was. I think the marks are more obvious. Yeah, post-mortem. When the bruising turns out. Yeah. No, but I yeah. find it interesting. Um, She strangled him, right? This mm-hmm. is a very personal way of murdering someone, especially a young child. Yeah, there there is. I mean, she did it to other kids before, so maybe this time, like, no yeah. one was there to stop her. Yeah, but you know, post mortem, there were still very, very like brief marks on like strangulation, and I think very little at all. But there was right. However, there was an empty bottle of painkillers on the floor near the body. So in that man's oh, house, because imagine okay. the boy just like, then there's painkillers <laughs> nearby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, I have a question. Why was there saliva on the boy? I guess Was she like frosting the mouth? No, it's just like I guess when you're strangling and then you try to talk, your saliva just comes so out. So she was talking while strangling him. No no no. On the victim's face. Also oh, it was the victim's saliva on his own yes, face. Correct. Oh because yes, I, I I assumed it was um Mary Mary's <laughs> um saliva. Yeah. On his no, face. It so was, I was, it was confused. I was like, okay. It was it was Martin's. So like he had like very little blood and saliva. So normally there are indicators, you know, when when it comes to strangulation, especially postmortem, like you guys see. But for this case, there was no obvious signs of violence. Hmm. Like I perhaps it's mm. with like maybe prolonged choking that uses very little force, or like maybe it's just like the fact that um, she was blocking his airways and not really like putting a lot of force into it. So there were really very, very little signs of like strangulation. And then because there was the empty bottle of painkillers near Martin, they actually assumed that Martin swallowed the pills and his death was rude an accident. Mm. Yeah. Martin's grieving family actually started to suspect otherwise when Maribel actually showed up at their doorstep the few a few days after Martin's death and asked to see him. Oh. Which has no relation to him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... You know, this has... girl is the... She's so dumb. Who does that? What kind of killer is no, this? But, <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, so her mother actually gently explained to her that uh, Martin, you know, Martin is dead, you know? Um, and Mary Bell actually told her, oh, I already know that. Oh, but she no. said, she, oh, what the? she said, you know, I want to see his body in the coffin. And, you know, oh, Martin's no. mom was obviously angry, so she slammed the door in the face and turned her away. Yeah. Okay. Just... Worst murderer award goes to Murderous Bell. No, but nobody actually suspected her then. But, I mean, she, the mom was suspicious of why a child would come up to my son's house to say this kind of thing. But she was 10. And honestly, I would. If I were to think about it in Martin's mom's point of view, I would have never suspected Maribel. I would just think that she's just an innocent kid that, you know, just is curious. I mean, true. True. I mean, she's a 10-year-old yeah. girl. Who's going to suspect a 10-year-old girl? Yeah, correct. Mm. 
So, um, shortly after, Mary and her normal <laughs> bell, friend, normal bell. Actually, yeah, broke into a nursery school and they actually vandalized it. So they vandalized it and they kind of like, I guess they vandalized it and they um, put up like notes or like graffiti that actually took responsibility for Martin Brown's death and promising to kill again. What the... Yeah, and, said, and this was not... Worst this was not... This was not an abandoned nursery school. This was a functioning nursery school. Yeah, how did they break in? in? Uh, there was just very bad alarm systems, I guess. Okay, guess 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So, police actually assumed these notes were actually, like, just a prank. Because, you know, kids and the vandalism and stuff like that. I mean, why not, right? Yeah, so, but... Mm-hmm. um, This was, like, the... But for the school, it was the latest and most disturbing break-in. Because, like, I guess this, this nursery already had break-ins. Mm. But it wasn't as bad as, you know, mm. framing a mother on another person. So, yeah, yeah they, they installed an alarm system. Yeah, but... Um, it was a smart choice by the school though because it caught Mary Bell and uh, Normal at the scene again. <laughs> at the crime scene several nights later. But um, mm. as they were simply just like loitering outside uh, when the police arrived, they were let off the hook. Oh, wow. Because they were just in the area. But they were just children, you know? Like, uh, yeah, mm, so yeah. it's really quite, it's really quite scary for me to think about how just because they're children, like, they're just let off the hook immediately. You know, yeah. they're just playing. Yeah. I guess for adults, they don't want to think that a child did yeah. all this. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, but I think it's yeah. really interesting how Maribel kept... Maribel or Maribel? Mary. Okay, Maribel <laughs> kept coming around the body and, like, relating herself to the crime scene so much like it's to me it's interesting because she didn't know Martin Brown before right but why is she including herself in this so much I think perhaps it could have been the fact that and it's not even in the sense where it's like a killer returning to the crime scene you know like she went to see his family and then broke into this kindergarten and then um, vandalized it and basically claimed that she's the one who did it. Mm. I thought a lot about this and I think it's the same like complex that the mom may have had which was the, the fact that they want attention. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I also think that the f- nobody has ever I couldn't find but when I was reading the stories I was just thinking to myself that perhaps the victim victims that she chose were victims that had perfect families. Mm. You know? So it's like, obviously there's that anger that comes along with playing with children that have a much better like family background than you do. Because like, when your mom is home, she abuses you and when she's not home, she doesn't care about you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure that she faced a lot more too because her mom was a prostitute. So, you know, there must have been a lot of, like, backlash mm. for her. Yeah. But, you know, well, okay, so while all these, like, alarm systems were being set up and they were caught loitering outside but let off, in the meantime, Mary was also telling her classmates that she actually killed Martin Brown. So she was going around telling people that she killed people. But her reputation was really bad. Like, she had a very bad rep. She, I mean, she was a rebel anyway. So, like, she was just brushed off as a show-off mm-hmm. and a liar. 
So like nobody actually took her seriously. So it was just basically like, you know, the 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 boy who cried wolf. Like you say it so many times and people just like mm. don't care about what you say anymore. You know? Yeah, so that uh, is, yeah, you know, yeah. until another young boy turned up dead. Oh yeah. my so, god. So okay. On July 31st, two months after the first murder, Mary Bell and her friend Norma killed three-year-old Brian by strangulation again. So strangulation seems to be like her... Mm, her MO. Yeah, but this time... Yeah, it's her MO. But this time, Bell actually uh, mutilated the body with scissors. And she um, scratched his thighs and butchered his penis. Oh my god. Oh no, so it why? Was, so, it was, so it was extra... It was more violent in that sense. And she was yeah. 10. Wait, did she use this? She used the scissors after he died? Or like, was it like after. a torture then oh killed? I, it was uh. after, yeah. So, what's even more scary is that when Brian's sister actually went looking for him, Mary and Norma actually offered to help. So they, they searched the neighbourhood together, like the three of them. And Mary even pointed out like the concrete blocks that hit his body. So she like, she actually like, I'm just imagining her going around the neighborhood and she's just like, hey, why don't you check out over there? Because she really knows that Brian's so body is there. Oh my Because they were really going around. But it sounds suspicious like at our age to do that. But for children, I think it's pretty normal. Like, have you checked there yet? Let's go check together. Yeah, I mean, because it's, so, it's just like a fun game, sort of. Correct. But it, to me, it was really, really scary how, like, even after everything... Yeah, like, um, even after everything, she was just so, she was able to approach, like, the family members and tell them up front, you know, that she did it and where she did it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, it was mm. really scary. Yeah, but, um, in the end, like, Mary was the one who pointed out, like, where it was, but actually Norma said that, uh, um, like, nah, he wouldn't be there. And Brian's sister didn't check that space. Mm-hmm. And Brian's sister is also probably just, like, a teen like them. So, like, she didn't really put, like, too, th- too much thought into mm. it, you know? So, yeah. So, but when Brian's body was actually found, the neighborhood police actually panicked because these were two boys that were dead in as many as, like, two months. So, like, obviously, mm-hmm. the police actually interviewed local children hoping that they had seen something that would lead to a suspect. So, at this point, nobody actually suspected Mary Bell or Norma Bell because, you know, I'm just guessing that coming from Brian's sister point of view, even when Mary Bell pointed out the space where um, Brian's body was at, she was probably t- too, like, flustered to even think about, like, where that space particularly was. Mm. Like, because they were searching around the entire neighbourhood. So, like, even when the body was found in that particular space, the sister wouldn't have been able to remember that Mary Bell actually pointed that space out in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um it was just uh, it was just it's just so sinister, I feel. Yeah, yeah. it is. So mm. the police actually received a shock when the coroner's report actually came back. And um because like the the blood had actually cooled down and like, you know, marks start appearing on his chest. Uh-huh. So someone actually mm. used a razor blade to scratch the letter M on his torso. M. <gasps> like Mirabel. Yeah, correct. <gasps> and and there was another disturbing note, like there was that lack of force once again, you know? The same kinda same kinda mm-hmm. 
a pattern as the previous killing. So like so, she you know, she drugged the child and then um this one we didn't really have they they didn't they didn't find any drugs and I don't think I don't think there was the use of drugs it was just by strangulation it just happened that in the first crime scene there was a bottle of painkillers there oh wow so that's why the police pointed it to you know an accidental death but this time round there that similar um lack of violence but you know no pills being around actually made them realize that you know the killer could have been a child so obviously because they were killers mary and norma actually did a very very poor job of disguising their interest in the investigation of course so they both acted very strangely like norma was excited and mary was very like invasive like asking a lot of questions um especially mm-hmm. like when when police pointed out that she had seen that she had been seen with brian on the day of his death so like, I'm imagining a child being excited about being asked this question. So that's obviously suspicious because like, as a child, like if you ask these questions, you feel so intimidated. Yeah. But they were excited. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In, so, in terms of their friendship, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. But like, what's the odds that you find someone that yeah. has the same, that kind of, I don't know, intent as you and like being a 10-year-old? Mm. So scary. Mm. Yeah. So on the day of Brian's burial, Mary is actually spotted lurking outside his house. Like, she actually laughed and rubbed her hands together. She was seen oh laughing and rubbing her hands together when she saw his coffin. So I just imagine a child just like, what? It's, it's, it's just so, creepy. so sinister to imagine. Oh, no. yes. It's so cartoonish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but people actually saw that, you know, that it was evidence of it. I, I guess probably because of like, you know, surveillance systems that were put around the house or so. Mm. Yeah. So they actually called her back for a second interview and Mary obviously now sensing that the investigators were actually like suspecting her. She made up a story about how an eight-year-old boy actually hit Brian on that day he died. And uh, according to her, the boy was actually carrying a pair of scissors, like broken scissors. So that was Mary Bell's biggest mistake because the mutilation of the body with scissors was actually kept from the press and the public. So oh, no. it was only oh, a detail okay. known by investigators and another person, oh, which was Brian's murderer. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, correct. Okay, so, I'm so sorry, but if you hear a bird... It's a bird. It's so <laughs> noisy. <laughs> yeah, Excuse I can hear it too. Me. I'm going to assume it's a minor because... Oh my god. Yeah. I can hear it. <laughs> it's cute. Excuse me, bird. I'm trying to listen to a story here. <laughs> It's so like anticlimactic, yeah. like chirping in the background. <laughs> it's so happy. Do you hear that? It's yeah, I do. It wants to say something. It wants to join the oh, podcast. Oh yes, um, hello everyone. We are including our fourth member of the podcast, Mister Minor. <laughs> Minor Bell. I think it's done. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hold that. Hell. <laughs> Oh, I think you like this game. <laughs> it's Chipping so noisy. Back. Okay. Sorry, Shen. You can carry yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, but... So, yeah. Obviously, that was a big mistake because, you know, not many people know about the mutilation and it was quite mm. weird for me to read this also because, like, for me, they could have seen her as a witness to her mother. Mm. But they, mm. they immediately pinpointed her as, like, you know, suspected her as the mother. And I guess maybe because, like, you can't be in such a close proximity 
yeah. to the killer without him like noticing you. That's that's what I wrote out mm. from the start, like reading the story. Yeah, so eventually the police actually started questioning Norma and Mary again, and they both like they they broke down upon further questioning. Oh, now they break so, down. Great. Yeah. So Norma, Norma began cooperating the police and implicated Mary, who herself admitted to being present during the murders, but she tried to um place the blame mm. on Norma. Even though so Mary was actually the killer. No, so Mary was the main killer, but she tried to actually blame Norma. Mm. And Norma tried to blame Mary. So it was both then just pointing fingers. Yeah. <sighs> so um so both girls were actually charged and you know, a trial date was set. Because you know, eventually they both pinpoint each other and kind of confess in that sense. Mm. So during the court, um um Mary Bell's reason for committing committing the murders was just solely for pleasure and excitement of killing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's what she said. Like, that was her her reason, which was honestly very sinister mm. to me. Yeah, so like, the British press actually, like, then actually referred to her as Evil Bond. That's it's really, really scary. Yeah. Wait, did they so call her Evil Bell? Was... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, she was convicted of manslaughter and not murder. Oh, my um, Because the court psychiatrist actually convinced the jury that Mary Bell showed classic symptoms of psychopathy. I mean, I'm and, not you know, surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so, um, Norma Bell was actually regarded as an unwilling accomplice that had fallen under a Unwilling? Influence. I mean, she Norma Bell was just there. Like, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't do it, commit the murder. She was just there to accompany... Meredith. So she was just there. Like she she wouldn't do anything. It's not like she would encourage. She was just there. Yeah. Okay. So Norma Bell was acquitted. Yeah. So the judge actually concluded that Mary was a rather dangerous person and a threat to other children. So she was sentenced to be imprisoned at Her Majesty's pleasure. Oh yeah. wow. So, at Her Majesty's yeah, so, pleasure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so Her Majesty's pleasure is actually a British legal term that means that you have an indeterminate sentence, which means that um you don't have a set date for your sentence. It's until the upper powers feel like you're ready to be let out, then you can be let out. Oh. So you you get basically get imprisoned, but you you don't know when you get out. Yeah. Oh. So okay. Sounds like yeah, life quite... with a possibility of parole. Yeah. It's it's quite it's quite cool. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know about this sentence. So to me when I read this, I was just like, wow, that's quite a a different sentence that I've read. Yeah. So yeah. So apparently the, the these powers, you know, the upper the people, they were impressed with Maribel's treatment and rehabilitation mm-hmm. and felt that they were appropriate like it was appropriate to let Maribel out in 1980. So she was really 23 then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> So she was um she was let out but she was and she was able to live in the community but under very strict um probation. Mm. Yeah. But you mm. know, um she was also given a new identity to kind of provide her a chance at, at a new yeah. life. Okay. And protect her from the tabloid. Yeah. So she also has a daughter now. Um but you know, obviously she killed two boys, was known to be super sinister. So obviously the press like mm-hmm. hounded her, which is also why she 
she had to call for a protection order because, you know, it was getting too out of hand. Like, no matter where she went, people knew who she was. Mm. So, like, it's her name is, like, so impactful to the fact that when people start asking for protection orders, um, it's called the Maribel order. Like, like because oh, it was because of her. her. Mm. So, it's, it's not, like, formally named after her, but that's, like, the informal way of terming it. Yeah. So, mm. she, was, she was given that... Um, protection order and till today nobody knows where Maribel is uh, where she and her daughter are at but I guess that's great also because you know her and her daughter actually remain anonymous and are protected under the court so it's it's good because at least she gets a chance at life again I mean because I'm guessing that if she repeats any of her offences she's going right back mm, yeah. yeah so yeah but you know obviously there are people who don't feel like she deserves the protection like the mother of Martin Brown um, June actually told the media and, and the press that, you know, it's all about her and how she has to be protected. As victims, we are not given the same rights as the killers. Mm. Uh, so that, that was really something that was very impactful when I was reading that. Yeah, yeah. I, can, so I, I can understand that, the mother's sentiment though. Like, her child, yeah. her child wasn't protected. Her child died at this person's hand. But now it's... Now everyone has to protect this killer. Correct. Yeah. No. So yeah, no. Nevertheless, Maribel remains protected by the British government today, and she is living her life. Nobody knows what she's doing. Perhaps and nobody will probably know for a very very long time because you know that protection order is for a lifetime for her and her daughter. Mm. So you'll probably find out like generations later. Mm. Yeah. But I found this story really really cool. And very, very interesting because I think the minds of how child killers work are just very fascinating in that sense. Like, how they even have that, like, that trigger to want to start killing yeah. and that gain that satisfaction. You would think yeah, and a child, something as innocent as a child, wouldn't have thoughts like that. Right. Mm. And, and I felt like the 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 choice of a method that she used for killing, which was strangulation, is a very personal one, like yeah. you said before. It's very, like, you must have a lot of deep hatred for the person. Um, yeah, and also mutilating the, the genitals also. It just shows yeah. that there's some sort of deep hatred. Yeah. For me, another thing I noticed was that the two people that she killed were men, like boys. Yeah. So, like, I felt like she may have had something against boys also. Mm. And I, I, I thought... I personally thought that it was because of her mother because her mom was a prostitute. Yeah, that would also make sense with uh, mutilating the um, genitals. The genitals because, you know, for for men, it doubles as... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I, hmm, <laughs> pride. Uh, <laughs> I can't even think of pride. No, as in... No, no, no. It doubles as a sexual organ as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. But three yeah, years old. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, her story was to me I think it was just fascinating. Like, you know, there's a whole debate on child killers and whether you should imprison child killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So No, but it also brings yeah, up the the question about can you outrun your your past, you know? Yeah, correct. Because mm. right now she could be completely repent like she could have really changed been rehabilitated but your past and the documentation of it you can never outrun from and it's difficult to change other people's perceptions of you correct 
But I guess that she has the ability to change it because she's under a protection order. But I'm guessing if she wasn't under a protection order, whoa, the things that she must have gone through before she got her protection order must have been... Yeah. And also considering she has a young child now, so... But I mean, she was really a very sinister child killer to the fact that she would go and turn up at, you know, the funerals or the houses of this children that she killed. Like, that, that takes some other courage. Like, normally, murderers, once they kill, they try to hide and kill yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of evidence. But she was openly, she was never trying to conceal. She was just bragging about it. She was turning up at the houses. So it's just, her motive for killing was just very strong. And I and I really like, found it very interesting. I mean, I've heard of some adult killers wanting to insert themselves into like, the crime scene. Yeah. And stuff. Or the, the, and Or like, come back to the crime scene to relive it. Oh, yeah, but true. all of this is, it's kind of the same thing that Mirabel was looking for, which is attention. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I think it was attention. Mm. And she wants to see, like, people's emotions. Yeah. Like, the reactions and stuff. I think mm. also beyond taking pleasure in the killing, I think she could have possibly taken pleasure in the people suffering as well. Mm. Yeah, I think she she might have, like, fed yeah. off it, you know. I feel like it was also cause of her upbringing. Which was, which was interesting because, you know, her mom did all these things to her. Mom was especially violent to her. Mom hated her. Mm. Mom abused Wait, her. Wait, did anything happen to the mom after? No. Like, I think the mom also, because the mom disassociates herself with the child, like, so Betty and Mary don't have a very good working relationship in the first place. Mm. So I guess for Betty as a mom, she's just like, go ahead, just take my daughter. Like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I think now, I think after that case, she's like convinced yeah. yeah, but it was very interesting because, like, a lot of people pointed out that, you know, I mean, even even in the court, like, the reason why she's the monster she is is because her mom was a monster to her. Yeah. 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 But the mom probably doesn't see I mean, that clearly, way. clearly it isn't an excuse for her actions. No. But <laughs> it sort of gives Ellie some context as to where this might have stemmed from. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so very interesting um topic about you know like nature versus nature. Yeah, nature versus nature. It's mm. interesting. So yeah, so yeah, I have a very keen interest in child murderers, and I might do more stories on child killings. I love, <laughs> I love <laughs> on Children's like, Days. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that should be a thing. I love reading about the minds of these child killers. Yeah, yeah, because I don't know. It's just it's rare for. I mean, okay, it's rare for it's rare to find child killers, and it's rare to find like female killers as well. Yeah, yeah, because the vast majority, because they they're not seen as violent. You know what I mean? Mm. So like, yeah. usually they're not expected to be killers. Yeah, and it's just very interesting, like the fact that she's like 10, 11. so she's like a child, but she's also on the edge of being considered like a teenager. Ten. Pretty, yeah, like. And you know, ten, pretty. Actually, I don't think so. Ten, eleven, I think was still a child. Yeah, still a child. Yeah, but you like on the on the fence at twelve, thirteen. No, I'm not sure about that. But still, Uh yeah, yeah. But this is my story for today. The story of murderous Bell, and normal Bell, (laughs) and normal. Yeah, we always forget normal Bell. Yeah, normal Bell. Normal. What happened to her? Is there anything about Norma Bell? 
No. She got she got acquitted. So like because she was just she was just there. Yeah. She wasn't doing anything. I guess also because she was a child. So like it's a lot more lenient. I think there's no update the, on her like in this day. No. No. Like because I mean she's not the one that killed. So people naturally don't blame her as much. Mm. I guess what she could have done is spoke up. But I guess people were just too driven by their hate. Um, I don't know. It's still a bit then, sus, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, she got help. Yeah. She, I'm pretty sure she got help, but it's just that she she don't got go to jail. That's all. Yeah. <sighs> she got quit that. Yeah. She probably also changed, and I'm pretty sure she had to go under probation for a period of time as well. Because you know, ultimately, she was mm. uh, accomplice of crime. So yeah. Interesting though. I I really found this story really interesting because it actually underlies the reason like she had a background yeah to, yeah so why mm. she actually started killing so to me that was cool I mean doesn't really yeah. explain why but you know at yeah. least you can understand yeah. her a bit better yeah well that was yeah. an interesting story Shan I liked it mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the birds outside yeah. my window liked it too. Yeah. They're gone now, thank- thankfully. Okay. So, I have a paranormal story for y'all. Of course. But, it involves but- children too. <laughs> oh, my oh my god. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. Oh. It's like oh Shen no. was like, oh, mine's about children. I was like, Oh, oh my god, <laughs> this, this telepathy, I just, yes, we, yes, 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 Taurus, Cancer, Link, that's right, just amazing, oh my god, Honda that's right. Pisces, this tree, I don't, I don't want, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, I'm not sure if y'all, oh wow, my chair is creaking, I'm not sure if y'all have ever heard about this, but, um, my story isn't about a ghost per se. It's about a cryptid. A human-like cryptid called the Black-Eyed Children. Okay, wow. Okay. Yeah, heard of it somewhere. I feel like I've mentioned like it I've... in passing. I kind of want to Google how these people look like. But... Please don't. Okay. I I have enough. I had... Oh, no. I don't want to see them ever again. The pictures on Google are just like badly shopped images and but they're so creepy, so whatever. <laughs> okay, my literally my first bullet point is not the black eyed peas. So please laugh. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um uh, wow. Best comedian award. <laughs> it goes to Christy Ann. Thank you very much. Please don't. I'd like to thank my mom, my word. dad, my goldfish. I don't own a goldfish, but never mind. Okay, so um, the Black Eyed Children, also known as the Black Eyed Kids, so I'm just going to call them the Black Eyed Kids because it kind of reminds me of the Black Eyed Peas. P-E-A-S-K-I-D-S. Yeah, peas and kids have the same number of letters. Four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as I mentioned before, the Black Eyed Kids are a kind of human-like cryptid. So usually they look, um, like children aged between 6 and 16. So I think the point of them looking so young is maybe it just helps them find victims easier. Oh, you know, man. just like Mirabelle is like, you don't 
suspect children. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. So, uh, the black-eyed kids usually appear to unsuspecting adults and what they do is they usually come up because they come up to these adults because they are seeking some sort of help. So they want these people to help mm-hmm. them. So they will come up mm-hmm. to doorsteps and ask to use the phone or be found in like an empty empty parking lot, for example, and like ask you for directions. Sometimes they come in they, sometimes they come to you and ask you for like um a ride. Like, hey, can you please drive us to this so and so place? Yeah, and they usually appear black kids never come alone. They're usually like in a pair or a group. Okay. Yeah. That's good. And um, so the black-eyed kids, they, the group is made up of like, usually there's one that is slightly older and they are called the spokesperson and then a younger black-eyed kid who just like mm-hmm. stands around. I don't know what they mm-hmm. So the thing is, um, if you see a black-eyed kid, you're supposed to just not, even respond to them like just get the hell out of there because once they come up to you or like they seek you out things get weird so what Mm -hmm. these black eyed kids do is when they first come up to you um they they they're usually always looking down or they have sunglasses on or like really long bangs and the purpose of this is to cover their eyes so okay. the reason why they're called the black-eyed kids is because their eyes are pitch black. They have no pupil, no iris, no sclera. So it's just okay. complete this completely like obsidian eyeball. And yeah, so so the eyeballs are creepy, right? But usually these black-eyed kids are also very pale, so they look corpse-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, as I mentioned, they, they will look down or they have sunglasses or long bangs, right? And the point of this is to conceal their eyes. And the thing is, when you notice their eyes, that's when they get angry and can get aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to encounter a black-eyed kid, a lot of people who have encountered them have said that they felt this um, unexplainable terror. Like, they could tell that something is wrong just by being in the vicinity of these black-eyed kids. Like, their entire body mm-hmm. just goes into, like, this fight-or-flight mode. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of these stories actually mention that, and I think this is the most common way um, for these black-eyed kids to find, um, like, victims, and that is to go to their houses. Like, they'll ring their doorbell, and then... They would ask if they could come in to use their phone or the bathroom or something. And usually, if you were to open the door and you see like this kid down there, they're like, hey, um, can I use your phone? I, I feel like adults would be like, sure, mm. because this kid is clearly in need of help and no one wants to be that asshole adult who doesn't want to help a child, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the thing is, whenever when people meet um these black-eyed kids, their bodies go into this like, panic like this fear mode so mm. that's what makes the encounter terrifying also because these kids are like okay. looking down they, they, you, they really don't want you to see their eyes yeah and some people okay, have it, yeah. yeah it's really creepy and some people actually say that the black eyed kids speak 
in this this very strange manner. Um, they don't sound like children. They sound mm-hmm. like adults. Like they have this strange wisdom to them. They're very eloquent. Yeah. Okay. And there's some stories that um talk about how these black eyed kids uh sometimes they use very dated terms, you know, and they speak like in a very me. like old fashioned manner. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But okay, can you imagine it now? Yeah. But um the, the the freaky thing about the black eyed kids is the fact that they are like no one knows what they are. No one knows if they're like demons or aliens mm-hmm. or like vampires. Because okay, so the other thing about black eyed kids is um they will ask you permission to enter your premises and you have to give them permission. If not, they cannot enter. And a lot of times when they ask you to let them in, right, they try to coax you into it. So if if you're like, um, okay. no, I'm not sure, they'll be like, oh, you know, like, please just help us. You know, we're just like kids. We're, we're, we're not going to do anything oh. or hurt you or whatever. Yeah. So one of the methods I mentioned was they can come up to your um house or whatever. But if you were to spot them outside, they will just stop whatever they're doing and just stare at you. And then approach you mm-hmm. to ask you for like help. So they could ask you for a ride home or to like let them stay at your place for the night. Yeah. Mm. So people who have encountered the black eyed kids have always said that for some reason they f- always feel compelled to give in to whatever the black eyed kids ask of them. So to me it's like some sort of hypnosis. Like they they might have these like mm. mind controlling powers. Because a lot of people who have encountered black-eyed kids, they say that a part of them knows that they shouldn't be doing this, but, like, their body uh-huh. moves on its own, want oh. to go okay. and, like, for example, open the door and let them in. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So the scary thing about black-eyed kids is that encounters with them always end up in something bad happening to the person. So in many of the stories, like the people end up falling really ill. I think there were two stories where um I think the partners of the person who opened the door, like they had cancer and they passed from it. And it's just Oh it, it was like they suddenly fell ill, you know? Yeah. Mm. So the black and kids, yeah, they are really <laughs> I think they're more creepy than I mean children are like terrifying in general, but now you have like black eyed <laughs> creepos. Ugh. Okay, so allegedly these black-eyed kids have been around since the 80s, but um, I think the first documentation of a black-eyed kid encounter was in 1996 by this Texas reporter named Brian Bethel. So I'm going to tell you the story of Brian Bethel's encounter with the black-eyed kids. Also, Brian Bethel, um, I think... I think 96 is when, like, the internet was just, like, coming up. Okay, I'm not sure about the validity mm-hmm. of that statement, but essentially what he did was he posted <laughs> this story on the internet and then it circulated and became a sort of a creepypasta. Uh-huh. So this story ha- happens in 1996 in Abilene, Texas. I got Abilene. I pronounced it right. Can't attack mm-hmm. me now. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point of time there wasn't any um internet banking and you couldn't pay your bills online so Brian needed to pay his internet bills uh-huh. and the only way to do it was to actually go down 
to the place mm-hmm. to pay it and he wanted to pay with a check. So good old Brian decides to set out to pay his bills in the evening to go to uh this Dropbox to pay his bills. Yeah. Okay. So on the way to the building he's supposed to pay the bills at, he decides to stop by this dollar movie theater to make use of the light given off by the marquee to write out his check. Nope, he didn't stop to watch uh, a wow. movie. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking, whoa, did he stop to watch a yeah, movie? Yeah, he was just wow. like, yeah, you know what? Let's make this evening great. Yeah. Let's make this trip out of my house worth it. <laughs> Chris when she leaves the house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so Brian's in his car and he's getting his check ready. So he's taking out and he's like about to write it and he suddenly hears this knock on his window. So he's just like, what? And he turns his head and he sees these two young boys standing there. So mm-hmm. he estimates that they're about 9 to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. At least according to him, like he thinks they're 9 to 12 years old. So the first kid he sees is slightly taller than the second. You know how I mentioned one is usually older than the other and they are called the mm-hmm. spokesperson. So the first kid is I thought the, the second and he's wearing this grey checkered hooded pullover and like jeans. And Brian says that this kid has olive skin but still very pale and had curly medium length brown hair. Mm-hmm. And I guess the long hair is also to you know conceal his eyes. The second kid was very pale. Uh, with freckles and was dressed similar to the first one except this kid's pullover was light green and his hair was a pale orange so he looked like a okay. reverse carrot <laughs> yeah I was thinking of <laughs> okay I I feel okay with making fun and calling this person a carrot but um, I would never ever call a redhead a carrot in real life just this strange whatever creature this is Okay, so the second kid was very nervous looking and was like constantly like looking around like kind of shifty shifty like nervous and Mm -hmm. but the first kid was very confident like he had this air of confidence to him and Mm. Bethel said that when he looked at them he was like then there's no way these kids are related but you know for me it was like personally I wouldn't have thought much about it I would be like oh these just these two friends hanging out in a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Par- parking lot in the evening. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Uh so at this point, um, Brian's just like, okay, they don't really they're not really related to each like they don't look like they're related to each other, but they're also kids, mm-hmm. so there's nothing really wrong with them. Um he notices he kind of feels off, so like the vibe check clearly failed, but once again, he doesn't really think much about it, right? So they knock on his window and they're like, Hello, mister, we need your help. We went to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. We want to watch this movie, but we forgot our money at home. So they ask him if he could take them back home, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's okay, you know, we'll just take the money and then we'll just come back. It'll be like over and done with. And they're okay. like, and, and they keep saying, mm-hmm. they're like, um, oh, the house isn't very far away. But they just need a ride. Mm. So, Brian's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, Yash, well, it's just two kids. They're harmless. 
and kids tend to do things like this all the time you know like they'll forget their money and you know ask someone for help so once again mm-hmm. Brian didn't want to be that asshole who was like no I'm not gonna help you even though it's the, I mean it's the evening it's not really that safe but the thing is Brian's body immediately goes into like this hyper awareness and it was like mm-hmm. as if he knew something was wrong with the whole situation and yeah and he even says like it's this feeling of like even being anywhere near these boys like felt bad like something terrible was about to happen mm. so Brian okay. is just like okay you know what um maybe this situation isn't good maybe maybe I need to get out of here so he tries to come up with excuses to leave so he's just like okay I don't know where you live like I can't bring you to your house and you know he tries to gauge the situation to you know to sense if anything is going to go bad which is why he asked like I don't know where you live you know and then the the first kid which is the spokesperson he starts to get irritated and tries to coax him into giving in by saying just let us in we're just two little kids just want to go to a house let us in we don't have a gun or anything we can't get into your car until you let us in and this kid is getting progressively more and more annoyed and irritated because Brian is clearly not giving in to what they are demanding of him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, Brian also says that like, saying that I don't have a gun is not going to make anyone feel calmer. In fact, yeah, if somebody goes like, yeah, if someone comes up yeah, to me like, yeah, yeah, I will be even more freaked out like, okay. But, um, why do you mention yeah, a gun? Yeah, why do you mention like... a gun? But um, I was reading this one source and it said that when Brian heard this, like he felt as if the kid was trying to say that we don't need a gun to get you to do what we want you to do. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so in okay, that way, it's okay. even more sinister. Okay, yeah. okay. So instead of calming Brian, which is what the kid was trying to do, Brian just feels progressively worse and worse. So he he tries to reason with the kids. So they so he asks them what movie you're going to watch, and then the kids are like, "Oh, uh, we want to watch Mortal Kombat." So Brian's like, "Okay," and then he looks at the marquee with all the show times, and then he looks at the clock on his uh car dashboard, and then he realizes that if he were to drop the kids off at the house at their house, and let them get mm-hmm. the money, and by the time he drives them back, they would have missed up on a significant part of the movie. So th- this is really isn't any point in that they might as well just, you know, watch the movie another day. But then, the thing is, Brian, he, he, he acknowledges this, right? But for some reason, his body goes to unlock the car door and then he catches himself midway and he's just like, okay, wait, no. And that's when he realizes that these two kids have completely black eyes. So no pupil, Mm. no iris, no sclera, just completely blocked out black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at this point, you know how I said that the black-eyed kids get aggressive and angry when you notice their eyes? So now they know that he's noticed their eyes. So... The, the the spokesperson begins to threaten him. So he's just like, we won't hurt you. Just let us in. We don't have a gun. Let us in. And he begins to pull at the car door. 
and he continues to like tell Brian like let us in let us in let us in and at this point like Brian's just like I'm I'm done I need to get out of here so he pulls his car into reverse and he like gets the hell out of there (laughs) (laughs) Mm. yeah so okay so what happened was Brian right after this he was like you know what I need to get this off my chest so ooh is that another bird somewhere oh (laughs) whose neighborhood is that that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, uh, that was Brian. Definitely not that mine. That was Brian getting the hell out of there. <laughs> Running away. <laughs> okay, anyway. So because Brian's a reporter, right? He decides to get this incident off his chest and he writes a story about it and he posts it online. And all of a sudden, like, it goes viral and more and more people start to tell him that they have experienced the same thing like they've encountered the black eyed kids also Mm. so because I'm extra that way I found two more stories of the black eyed kids Um, so I'm just gonna tell you very quickly the the two stories they're both from reddit so thank you reddit thank you to the um, black eyed kids subreddit (laughs) so the first story comes from it's a subreddit for black eyed yeah. kids. Yeah, it's it's yeah. That's what the <laughs> it's really cool. That's how they. <laughs> so anyway, the first story comes from Planetary Virgo. Thank you, Planetary Virgo. So um oh, who is doing construction work? Not me. Yes. <laughs> Stop doing construction work when we're recording. Okay, so I'm not sure what pronouns planetary Virgo uses, so I'm just going to use they, them for the entirety of this story. Uh-huh. So okay. one day, planetary Virgo and their partners, referred to as W and K, were out visiting a 150-year-old graveyard at night. I don't know why you do that, but you do you. <laughs> uh, planetary Virgo says that they're an uh-huh. empath, so they're more sensitive to spirits, uh-huh. while W and K aren't. So, the three of them are at the cemetery. They're just, like, walking, chilling. It's dark and peaceful and just, you know, just calm and having the time of their lives, probably. And they're reading Mm -hmm. headstones. It's just, like, a very chill night. And then, finally, they reach this crossroad and Kay notices something in the distance. So, he's like, okay, I'm going to go check out what it is. And Mm -hmm. eventually, he comes back and he's like, there's someone over there. I'm going to check it out probably check it out for them but the Mm. moment he walked away planetary virgo said that they felt as if there were eyes suddenly staring at them from all directions and they were overcome with this tremendous sense of fear this unexplainable sense of fear and a while later Mm -hmm. k comes back but he looks he looks off he looks unnerved and planetary virgo's like what happened and Kay tells them that he saw a stone white figure darting through the trees. So Kay asks if Planetary Virgo wants to leave, but Planetary Virgo is just like, mm, you know what? Nah. It's still a chill night, you know, like we can hang out here longer. Uh personally, I will be out of there so quick. <laughs> I would just <laughs> You wouldn't even I, go, yeah, anywhere, I wouldn't even go yeah. anywhere near. Mm-hmm. And so the trio continue on their walk around the cemetery and ultimately come across a huge white mausoleum with a glass door so you could like look into it. And the thing is, the closer they got to the mausoleum, the more planetary Virgo felt uncomfortable. They felt this prickling feeling all over their body. And I guess that's 
also coming from the fact that throughout this time, Planetary Virgo felt as if there was some entity, like, there were eyes watching them the entire time. So when Kay touched the door, he saw, he saw something move inside, but the moment he touched the door, right, the whatever it was that was inside vanished. So Kay started to act a little strange, as if he had seen something that he shouldn't have, and, like, he began to feel dizzy. So obviously at this point, they're like freaking out. So they're like, okay, you know what? Let's leave the cemetery. So when they get home, Planetary Virgo and K, they start to feel really dizzy and weak while W just, he goes to bed. <laughs> w just like, bye. <laughs> um, but while W is just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get a good night's sleep, uh, Planetary Virgo and K are just <laughs> overcome with this unexplainable sense of fear and dread. And then they hear knocking on their door. At first, it's just three soft knocks, but then it started to get more frantic. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, right, Planetary Virgo and Kay are just like freaked out at this point and they don't open the door for 30 minutes. Okay. All this while, like, there's just like knocking on the door. Eventually, yeah. that sense of panic and fear faded away, but it left Planetary Virgo and Kay like extremely drained, mm-hmm. like mentally and physically drained so they decide to go and get some sleep and mm-hmm. at this point um they they've come to the realization that it must have been a black-eyed kid but they're like okay mm. we're going to be fine because we didn't open the door we didn't entertain them you know yeah correct. yeah mm-hmm. but then um so so because they were so panicked they decide to watch some tv you know to calm themselves down and Planetary Virgo got a bit overheated. So Kay went to open the patio doors and like he turned the fan on. And then at 3.20am, Kay woke up. A.M.? Yeah, 3.20am. Kay woke up, but he could only remember moving his head. So it's as if his body was paralyzed. Okay. Mm -hmm. The door had opened halfway on its own and the child with extremely messy short hair was just standing there, staring at him. Like, waiting mm. for him to invite, is it? I think so. It was just just standing there, just, just oh watching. And the thing is, Kay got so terrified, like, it physically hurt him. And he forced his... He forced himself to close his eyes until, like, you know, that, that sense of fear and terror, like, just passed. Mm. Yeah. And then... um. So apparently, the house they lived in was already haunted. Okay, okay. After the incident with the black-eyed kids, right, the the activity in the house got more intense. So their cat would go crazy because of all this like okay. activity. Oh, no. And Planetary Virgo and Kay's anxiety and depression would worsen and they would even suffer from insomnia. Okay. Planetary Virgo would constantly hear a, a dull ringing in their ears and like would have pain in like various parts of their abdomen and um okay. k will suffer from like intense sensations of dread like for 20 to 30 minutes and it would hurt okay. and the tv radio and lights would randomly turn off and turn on on their own too and there's some stories okay. that talk about how the bek's could possibly be aliens and have like I guess like a magnetic field or some sort of radiation around them because a lot of people actually say that encounters with the BEK, they notice that their lights flickering on and off and stuff like that. Mm. So that's story one. Story two is personally my favorite. It's 
Chef's kiss. <laughs> so hopefully it creeps you out as much as it creeped me out. Okay. So sorry too was posted by Alf Hedon and he posted mm-hmm. this a month ago. But this story happened in January this year. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So Alfie Dunn, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering your username, was down at Baton Rouge, Louisiana on a date with his boyfriend. They had met a year earlier online, but had officially become a couple like four months prior. So this was going to be their first date. And honestly, after you hear the story, I don't think any other date could possibly compared to this one. (laughs) (laughs) On a list of, I don't know if this could possibly be their best date or the worst date. So, y'all figure out (laughs) after this story. So, um, on their first night there, they decided to go watch 1917. Sidetrack. Okay. 1917 Uh, is a great movie. Okay. I did not watch it. But it's a great Uh movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the sure, two of them Chris. just like, okay, you know what? Let's go watch 1917. That'll be a great movie to watch. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie, guys. Even though I haven't watched it. So they went to the theater an hour early so that, you know, they can get good seats. And after getting their tickets, they realized that they had some time to spare. So they were like, okay, let's just head across the street to the mall. There's this mall across the street. And they're like, let's just do some window shopping, you know? There's no harm in that. And... Even though it was late in the evening and most of the shops would have been closed, they were like, yeah, let's just let's just take a walk then, like, just look around. Because after all, they have time to kill, right, before the movie started. So they had just crossed the street when these two boys approached them. So now, mm-hmm. Alfie Dan says that he's he's a hyper-observant individual because um he had, like, a rough past. So he he's always, like, on alert and always observant. So... Okay. But the thing is, he didn't realize, he didn't even notice these boys approaching him, which is strange mm. because a hyper observant, mm. a hyper aware person, like they they can sense any like small movement, yeah. like they know. But yeah. he he says that he didn't even realize that the boys were were like there until no, he didn't even realize that the boys were like were there and okay. it was as if they like appeared out of nowhere so one of the boys um this one is the spokesperson appeared to be about 16 with brown okay. or sandy blonde hair while the other okay. seemed to be about 12 or 13 and had brown hair and um Alfredan said that the both of them looked caucasian okay so the first thing you meet um Alfredan notices is the fact that their clothes seem really weird so Okay. He describes it as the kind of Abercrombie or Hollister clothes a typical a typical suburban kid would wear, but from the mid nineties, kind of faded <laughs> almost. <laughs> okay. He really clocked them for their outfit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. So people who have encountered um black eyed kids have often mentioned that sometimes they appear to be wearing dated clothes, as if from a different era. And this also goes back to, you know, sometimes they, they speak in a very dated manner. Yeah. Mm. So the older boy, the spokesperson spokesperson, why oh, I can't speak today. The spokesperson begins to talk and immediately Alfidan is like, okay, something is definitely not all right here. So the older boy mm-hmm. looks at him and and he asks, Do you have a car? And Alfredan is creeped out at this point, but he's he's like, I'm a nice guy. He doesn't want to be like mean to this kid. So 
he decided to answer. But mm-hmm. his boyfriend had a completely different response. So his boyfriend, who was like standing slightly behind him to his left, because you know they were walking, right? He just mm-hmm. bent yeah. his head and moved behind him as if to hide. So it's the kind of thing okay. where like you crouch to hide behind the person. Like you're trying to make yourself as small as possible. Okay. And um okay. Alfidan like describes his boyfriend as the kind of person that is not easily scared. And he's mm-hmm. he's the kind of person that would like um he won't back down from like a fight kind of thing, you know. But mm-hmm. his boyfriend was incredibly skittish and so previously the boyfriend was in the middle of a snapchat conversation it was like a lively one right but he just he wasn't even on his phone he was just he just kept his head down he was just hiding behind Alfidan and mm-hmm. so Alfidan had turned to check on his boyfriend because you know his boyfriend had this like really strange reaction and mm-hmm. when he turned back to look at the kids they were just standing there like they had not moved at all they were just like still just like staring at them mm-hmm. and Alfidan says that his first instinct was to lie but he found himself saying that he had a rental car and that it was parked nearby and he even pointed mm-hmm. at the movie theater parking lot which I would have gotten the hell out of them honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> then the spokesperson goes can you give us a ride so at this point, like, alarm oh. bells were going off in Alfredan's head, like, because he was like, um, he had a past as, like, a youth mm. pastor and a youth addiction counsellor. So he didn't actually feel right about leaving this ki- these kids behind because, you know, they clearly okay. needed help. But at the same time, mm. he had all these alarm bells going off, like, there is something wrong, but because he's just, his past as a counselor and everything he's just like no I can't abandon these children mm-hmm. and then so he asks them like where do you need to go and then the kid is like oh. um, we need to go back home our house isn't too far from here our parents will be mad if we don't get back mm-hmm. yeah. that's the last thing you would say <laughs> like I would tell you my address right so here's the thing right Um, a lot of black eyed kids encounters are people like, they manage to catch themselves in the end, so they don't really allow the kids back into... Like, they don't allow the kids into their homes, but... So, no one really knows what would happen if you let them in. Oh. Nah. And no one... What if those people, like, who let them in don't get <gasps> to see the story? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Oh God, I have some of that. I was just like... Mm. Yeah, but the fact that they have parents, I'm just... I mean, there's things called the black-eyed people, I think. I'm not sure, okay, never <laughs> we don't want to delve into that. Yeah. So, Alvidan is like queasy at this point. So, he asks them to just call their parents. You know, maybe they'll come fetch them. But the kids are just like, I don't have a phone. It's 2020. Which 16-year-old uh, or 12 or 13-year-old doesn't have a phone? Tell me. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. <laughs> Shen will probably just die from this encounter. <laughs> I would just lock out of there. Yeah. Yeah, Shane yeah, would help. I'll be like, oh, no, I can't help you. I'm sorry, bye. Um, Alfidan actually starts to look around to see if there were other people around, you know, like, to check if it's, like, a safe space. And mm-hmm. um, he heard the second kid say, they're not paying attention. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. So the thing is, the kids were actually standing close to them, but 
Alfridan heard the younger boy speak but didn't see him do it. They were close enough okay. to see like mouse movements, yeah, but he heard him, didn't see him speak. Okay. So the younger kid had actually said this to the older one and then the older one goes, they can help us. To which the younger one says, they can see us. They can see us. So much like Brian, Bethel, Afinan's just like, I need to get out of here. So he tries to come up with an excuse um, because, so they're like, okay, we have a movie to watch and we we can't really help you. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, the kids start to co- coax them and tell them that, you know, their house wasn't that far off. Like, please help us, just help us mm-hmm. off. And that's when Alfredo mm-hmm. noticed their eyes for the first time. So they were a very okay. pale shade of green with bits of blue and yellow in them. I can imagine that. Yeah. Describe the, the colour as almost not being there, like ghost eyes. Mm. But he says that in those eyes, he saw like genuine fear, like the kids really needed his help. And then the older one looks at the younger kid and goes, yeah, he can see us. And then the younger one says, ask him for help. He can help us. So Alvidan's just like, okay, okay, I'm out. So he tells them that he can't give them a ride, but offered his phone to call their parents. But like the kids had an excuse for that, saying that they were at work or whatever. Then mm-hmm. Alvidan offers them money to take the bus back home. But then they're like, no, we just moved here. So we are unfamiliar with the routes. And then okay. Alvidan goes, okay, fine. Where are you from? And they, and they say, far away. Oh my God. Oh no. So Alfidan, Who says that? Yeah. Alfidan's instincts are screaming for him to leave at this point. So he, he's just like... He says that he had this feeling that if he followed them home, he would not be able to leave and that he would possibly get murdered. So he says mm-hmm. he has to go and immediate, immediately just like skadoodles out of there. And when he mm-hmm. turns around to look at the kids, they're just gone. Oh. They're just, they've just vanished. Um, Alfredan's boyfriend unfortunately is pissed at him for talking to them and like <laughs> Alfredan's just like you know I feel like the kids needed help but the boyfriend is just like they were they were effed up and Alfredan is like mm-hmm. huh like hi but their pupils weren't dilated you know because he he was a counsellor right so he knows the signs of yeah. being high so he's just like no their pupils their pupils weren't dilated but his boyfriends were like no they didn't even have pupils so Avidan mm-hmm. just assumed that his boyfriend thought the kids were on drugs even though he didn't see any signs of it so he joked about this but his boyfriend was just not having it he just got increasingly upset mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. following the incident bad things started to happen to them so they fought over like trivial things during the weekend and even almost broke up the boyfriend had a nosebleed that night. Yeah. After mm-hmm. the boyfriend went to bed, Alfidan went crazy and like he was filled with unexplainable angst. And what he did was he drove across the town and stopped at one of the riverboat casinos and he had the strongest urge to just throw himself into the river and drown himself. Mm-hmm. And in the following weeks, his boyfriend had a near nervous collapse and Alfidan had issues at work that almost seem jobless and the two almost broke up again mm-hmm. so Alfredan mm-hmm. actually remembered this story because he was listening to a podcast on the Black Eyed Kids and like he was like oh. he felt that what happened to him was very similar to what happened to Brian Bethel so he called his boyfriend up again and asked if the kids had pitch black eyes 
And the boyfriend just goes, yeah. I would start crying. So Avidan later got a psychic to do a cleansing and like things got better for him. Thank goodness. Okay. Um. So Avidan is actually pagan. So he he's involved with the occult and he he went to talk to his friend who has like more knowledge on these things. And she said that they were the spirits of children who were horribly abused in life. Oh. So then again, then why do you want to be let in though? I I think it's interesting how Alfidan saw something different than what his boyfriend saw though. Right. Yeah, he didn't see pitch black eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So maybe it's because he of his pagan background. I don't know. But then again, like, no one knows what the BEK are. Like, some say they could be vampires because of, you know, the letting them in thing. Others think they could be demons Mm -hmm. or aliens. (laughs) Or like, you know, the dead children thing is definitely a popular theory. You know what I thought? When you you said, like, um, people are compelled to, like, follow Uh what they say. Mm -hmm. I thought they were Jedis. (laughs) Me. I'm tired of <laughs> exiting this. You know what? <laughs> Maybe they are. Maybe they are Jedi's. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that was the story of the black-eyed kids, not the black-eyed peas. Okay. <laughs> this was a good, cool story. You'll never go near children ever again. I don't even go near children in general. Now I have more reason to. But here's the thing. Some people say that after they've come to know about black-eyed kids, like, they've... Like, it's it's in their conscious now, right? So, like, for example, the mm-hmm. three of us, you know the black-eyed kids. Like, they've had visitations by them. Oh, can you not? So, yeah. <laughs> I think Brian Bethel, um, he also wrote this article, but this was, like, way before... The, the Black Eyed Kids one but it's basically talking about how your energies can manifest like a spirit or something like if you believe in it hard enough you can like create one Fair enough yeah yeah so mm. perhaps people who see the Black Eyed Kids it could be like just them manifesting it because you know they've heard about it but I for one don't ever want to see another child ever again <laughs> I don't know everyone is... For what reasons? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like possibly the chances of encountering a BEK is higher now. Quite high. Mm-hmm. Heard this mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Can you... Why would you do this to me? <laughs> what if like your sister came up to you one day like, oh, hey, meet my I friend. Would... And then it's just this creepily oh, man, pale kid so with... Much. Creepily pale kids with long hair... And completely black eyes. I would start crying. I would really start crying. <laughs> like, really start crying. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, I think that's all for our stories today. Yeah. Woo-hoo. If anyone has any theories on what the BEK is, tell us on our Instagram. Tell us yes, what you that's think right. they are. Drop us a comment or the Jedi's. Do you think that they're vampires, demons, spirits of the dead children? Do you think mm-hmm. they're your, I don't know, neighbor? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, tell us if you think they're Jedi's. Jedi's. Clearly, <laughs> Jedi's exist. <laughs> okay. Jedi's. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will be such a great help.
You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HAU Podcast. You can drop us a DM or comment on our post. Um, and do give us feedback or your thoughts, you know, through our social media as well. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com if, that, if that's better for you. So that's all for today's story, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And see you next week. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.